Hosts Elle and Miriam are two black homeschooling moms embarking on a self-defining journey. Listen in on conversations that will encourage you to be your authentic self while uplifting your spirit and motivating your inherent potential. They're defining what culture is for their families and want you to do the same. Bring your children along too so they can meet the cleverly cultured kids. They're all for teaching the babies while they're young, adapting to the challenges of parenting, homeschooling, and being willing to learn the lessons that the children have to offer. It's all about uplifting one another and reclaiming your innate greatness. Have you ever thought about being a guest on the Cleverly Changing Podcast? If so, we would love to have you. We would love to hear your story and feature you and your children. So definitely go to the show notes page, cleverlychanging.com, and click on the podcast tab and you will find out more information on how you can be one of our very own guests. Our inspiring guest today is a mom and author, Tiffany Obing. Tiffany is on a mission to educate and inspire Black children to aspire to be anything they want to become. We believe Black youth are capable of accomplishing their dreams. She writes career books for kids to introduce children to various professions, especially stealth professions. This episode is brought to you by Sickle Cell Books. I'm Elle, the producer of the Cleverly Changing Podcast, but I'm also parenting a child with sickle cell disease, and I've published three books about sickle cell. A Sickle Cell Coloring Book for Kids, The Ultimate Sickle Cell Activity Book, and ABCs for Sickle Cell Disease. So if you want to learn more about the most common genetic disorder in the world, then head over to the website sicklecellbooks.com and purchase a book today. Our something to explore today about the continent of Africa is... The Kuba people refer to themselves as Bakuba. They are one of the oldest ethnic groups in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Kuba are well known for their advanced ritualistic sculptures and masks. The Kuba people speak Bushong. Today's African proverb is, women are part of the origin of life's big mystery on earth. They know the secret of a good life. And that is a Kuba proverb. It's now time for the word of the episode. Sheda Dani is how are you in Yoruba? Sheda Dani. Sheda Dani is how are you in Europe? Welcome. 
Welcome to another Cleverly Changing Podcast. I am one of your hosts, L. Cole, and we are excited about today's conversation. I have an author and a lawyer by trade. Her name is Tiffany Obing. I am super excited to have you on today's show. So I am L. Cole. For those of you who are listening to the Cleverly Changing Podcast for the very first time, I am a mom of twins. I have two daughters who are now 13. They are big girls and teenagers for seven years of their life i homeschooled them and this podcast is a way to give back to that community even if you don't homeschool and you supplement your child's education there is a word in this show for you so stay tuned and listen to the full show also i want to introduce you to our special guest today who is tiffany obing so tiffany we are excited to have you today please let everybody know a little bit about your background so that we can get to know you a little bit better yay thank you i love your energy <laughs> so exciting and infectious so as um, Elle stated, I am a lawyer by trade. I like to quip that I'm an author and publisher by night, but anywho, um, I'm a wife. Um, I met my husband um, when we were both in college, but we did not date until years after. So we can't say we're college sweethearts because in actuality, um, I didn't even, we we're like friends. I was like, what are you talking about? So it wasn't until years later that we started dating and it's been one of our best decisions. We have two small children, one is currently six and the other one will be one next week. So um, in April, I don't know when this is going to air, but so she's currently 11 months. And as you guys will come to hear, um, my books were inspired initially by my oldest son. His name is Andrew. And my little daughter, she inspired one of my books as well. I don't know if we're going to cover that one, though. But her name is Tatiana. And um, I do not homeschool because I'm like, I don't even know where to start with that. But I think I do have a product that um, people, people who do homeschool say they have used as part of their curriculum and lessons. And so I'm just so excited to share it with you guys and, you know, talk to Elle all about it. Yay, this is super great because I know you have your two children and such a young baby. So I know that your plate is full. And so when it comes to education, whether we're homeschooling or not, we are naturally teaching our kids. So this is the perfect time to kind of unpack all of that and our journey on what we've learned and how we plan to do it similarly or differently. So I wanna jump into the conversation today and I want you to share a little bit about your elementary school background. Did you have teachers of color? Did you read books of color? Can you talk about that with us? So, such a good question. So, um, back in elementary, girl, you're making me think back, but back in elementary, <laughs> um, initially before my parents divorced, I did go to a more diverse school. And so the teachers um, that I knew at the time, they were not African-American. However, when my parents divorced, uh, me and my mom and my brothers, we moved over to a more predominantly uh, Black area. And so that is when my teachers became Black <laughs> as representative by the area. And um, I went to mainly all black school at that point. So from second grade on up, I was at a black school. So yes, my teachers were black. Now the content that I read, 
I mean, it was so long ago. So even as a kid, I did not realize that I was reading books that did not feature characters that looked like me, but I loved reading anyway. And so I was the babysitter's club, club reader. I was, I loved Encyclopedia Brown. I don't know if anyone knows about that series, but I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, but yeah, so reading books that, of characters that looked like me, um, I don't think it was something that I thought about. I don't think it was something that maybe my parents even thought about, my mom even thought about, or teachers, because maybe they weren't really available anyway. So yeah, um, reading was a pastime, an enjoyable pastime of mine, and I just read anything that I wanted to read, really. Awesome. So I know that you said that you switched from uh, a mixture of a school where it was kind of everybody, it was very diverse, to a school that was predominantly Black. Were there any things, you know, it was a long time ago, but are there anything, is there anything that sticks out in your mind about the culture of the class? So uh, culture, I think, <laughs> Oh, let me see how I'm going to frame this. So what was different for me, my brothers who were six years older had a much uh, different experience than me in changing cultures, if you will, because they were six years older. But um, for me, I think the biggest change was, whereas when you're in a more diverse school, labels, especially like Jordans, um, whatever our label is, <laughs> wasn't as important at that time. Whereas when we switched over, that's when we started, I, yeah, we started seeing like little girls as young as seven, eight or nine have the beautiful hairstyle that you have. Um, we saw sometimes girls would have nails. Uh, we even saw a girl with some heels on. <laughs> and uh, just like your presentation just became so much more important. And that's what kind of stuck out to me. But an experience that really stuck out to me um, was, and I, I talk about it when people ask me about my journey about becoming an author. Um, I enjoyed reading, I enjoyed writing, and um, I had said that I would be an author one day among the many list of things that I was gonna do. I was gonna be a lawyer, I was gonna be a doctor, I was gonna be an author, I was gonna be it all. Okay. So we had a creative writing assignment in fourth grade, my teacher, Miss Taylor, and I wrote it and she said it was good. But I had chosen to use Ebonics <laughs> when I was uh, doing dialogue. And she said, well, that's not, you know, appropriate for school, right? She's a Black teacher. But she was like, that's not how you write. And I said, well, they write like that in my other books. And as you guys probably know, if you're familiar with Toni Morrison, she's like the pioneer of like, you know, writing in dialect that is realistic. Anywho, um, so she was like, that's not how you write uh, speech. And um, and I was like, well, that's how they do like in the movies and in other books that I read. And she's like, well, when you write your own book, you can write it like you want. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's something that stuck with me. I do not use, uh, I haven't had the opportunity to use like slang in my books or anything, but it just always stuck with me because I'm like, look, I'm writing my own books and I can't write them the way I want. <laughs> Absolutely. That's interesting. Definitely an interesting memory that she would say that so strongly because it's something, you know, when we have our memories, it's things that kind of um, are really uh, big impressions on us that kind of stay in our memory. And so it seems so simple that that phrase, you know, um, that's not how we talk, you know, would stay with you. But I think that, um, Sometimes when we go to school, there's definitely this um, point to assimilate 
where, you know, we're supposed to do things a certain way. So whether you're in a diverse school or not, I think it's important for us to kind of be open when we share dialogue with our kids about what they're doing. Because I see how that made a big impression on you. And you're an adult now. And it's like, yeah, I remember when she said that. So uh, you mentioned something, you mentioned my hairstyle. And for those who don't know, if you're not familiar with how I look, I actually have locks. I've been growing my dreadlocks for 17 years. And so um, if, if you're not familiar, they are definitely, they kind of stand out. So I have dreadlocks. Um, I just call them locks for those of yeah. you who are familiar with the term. Um, but if you were looking for a visual imagery, that's that's how it looks. And I have them up in a ponytail. Yeah, I was about to say, you have it like in a crown. Like, stop it. It's like so pretty. She has a high ponytail and it's like cascading down her face. Like, it's a beautiful hairstyle. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So I, I feel like when you're an author and you've always been, you know, wanting and desiring to have your own books, did you find that the desire came first and then it was just easy it was like oh i know i can write because as a lawyer a big part of your training is writing and reading so i definitely can see how a natural next step would be writing your your books but because of your background was it easy to move into that space so that's a great question again um i don't know if it was easy per se but they did compliment so my background, like you said, in being a lawyer and the skills that it requires, such as the reading, the writing, the researching, the synthesizing has been helpful for especially the type of books I write. So my flagship product, um, Andrew's Career Day, which is uh, kids' career books, they feature a particular profession and talks all about it, talk all about it so the kid can understand what it is, introducing the kids, but we'll talk about that later. Anywho, in doing that, um, I have to research some of these professions because the only profession I know about personally is a lawyer, right? So I can speak about that off the top of my head. But when I'm talking about engineers, I have to actually do ground research as in maybe going to the library, reading other books and talking to real life engineers and seeing what's important to them and, and what it's about. So in having the background as a lawyer, being able to gather information, know where to find information and being able to synthesize all the information that I find so I can present it in a way that other people can understand has been complimentary. Yes, I, I bet. I mean, that is incredible that you're able to use your natural skills with something that you enjoy. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering, um, when you were younger, did you see a lot of different professions as a child? Or was that something that kind of came later? Correct. And so that's another reason why I did this book series because I do remember in school we did have like career day but the careers that we would see would probably be like a community helper such as a police officer or a firefighter um, and that's all I can really remember of like a professional that would come in to speak with us. I don't know if they still have that opportunity to um, or really um, emphasize like the importance of career day but I did not I wanted to be a lawyer since at least fourth grade. I did not know what a lawyer was. So I'm like, how did they even get implanted in me? I had never seen a lawyer in real life. The only lawyers I knew about were the ones that were on TV and they're criminal lawyers. I don't do criminal law. I do employment discrimination um, law. So um, only ones I saw was criminal. They were always white males. 
So it's like, how do you even know about this path or what to do in that path? I did not meet my first real life lawyer, real life lawyer say that five times fast, until uh, I was in 11th grade. So I'm like about to go off to college so I can start my journey to go to law school. And I'm just now reading, meeting a real life lawyer who can try to tell me a little things about how to do this and that. And so I'm like, I need for children to be able to know what their future can hold, to know what their opportunities are. Like how many more lawyers and people can debate whether we need more lawyers or not, but how many more lawyers, particularly black children, black lawyers, could we have had if we just had someone in our family or had access to the information on what does a lawyer do? Um, I know from very young, my mom and teachers and whoever I would run into would be like, you love reading and you're great at writing and you're great at talking. <laughs> you talk all the time. So you should be a lawyer. Okay. So those are the three skills you need. I don't know, but y'all telling me this is what I should do. So I'm going to do it. You know, um, one thing that I like about my dedication in my lawyer's book is that it's dedicated to Maxine Shaw. That's the female attorney for um, Living Single. It's dedicated to Claire Huxtable who doesn't know who that is, but yes, the Huxtable uh, matriarch. And it's dedicated to um, Joan Clayton, the girl, the lawyer from Girlfriends, because those happen to be the people that I could see on TV who look like me, who were in these legal professions. Um, and so I dedicated to them and I was like, I hope this book can be your Joan Clayton, can be your Maxine Shaw, can be your uh, Claire Huxtable and inspiring you to even consider this path. So anyway, um, so yeah, career day, the professions that I saw was police officer, firefighter. I didn't see actors. People for some reason don't really emphasize teaching as a profession. profession. Like we're in contact with teachers all the time. I've had over 18 teachers in my career, I mean, in my life. So it's like, do people really know, do kids really know that that's a profession that they can't, like, this is a profession. Your teacher is a profession. <laughs> do they know that this is something they can aspire to be? And so it was interesting that you asked me about the demographics of um, uh, the, the teachers when I was growing up, because one of my goals in Andrew Learns About Teachers was to feature a Black male teacher. My husband's an educator. He is in the uh, middle school ranks, but in elementary, you don't see male teachers really. And if you do, they're likely not a black male teacher. And so I wanted to put the image out that this is normal to have black male teachers at, in the school system, period, teaching. So um, yeah, so career day or just educating and introducing our kids to careers, I thought was so important. And especially when you compound that with, <laughs> and let me know if I'm rambling, but especially when you compound that with the fact that not only are our Black children not being introduced to these professions to even know that they can strive or aspire to be getting these professions, one thing that really nags at me, and I'm not talking down on these careers because they're fine, um, but when you ask young Black boys in particular, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer is, can you guess what the answer is, Elle? <laughs> a rapper, a football player, a basketball player. <laughs> both of those that is the number one and two so I'm like that is fine but you can be so much more and the idea of being anything that you want to be believe it or not is still such a novel concept like I think about I do a lot of research on um what was happening in slave times <laughs> but the, the importance is like slavery occurred and during slavery black people 
who are enslaved, obviously, and their aspirations were to one, just make it day by day, but two, to be the best domestic servant you could be, to be the best field worker you could be. So the idea so after slavery is like, okay, what do we do? I don't know. So the idea that even still to this day, we're still having first whoever, we have Kentaji, for example, she's going to be the first Black female Supreme Court justice. Like we're in 2022 and we're still making first. And it's because we, in my opinion, part of it is because we haven't been introduced to these concepts of the reality. President? Andrew learns about president? Like, I mean, I don't have that book, but I'm just saying, like, the idea that a Black person could aspire to be a president was like, oh, okay, you know, you're really thinking big big kiddo but so that's what I want to do I want to be able to place it in our children's minds that you can aspire to be anything not just a rapper not just a pro player you can be anything if that's president that's it if you got to make up what that anything is you can be it and so I think I'm done with that soapbox for now Well, I think what you said was very impressionable. I want to bring out three points from what you said. One is representation matters. Two, people started planting seeds based on your own natural gifts when you were small. And number three, they provided positive reinforcement. The reason why those three characteristics really stood out to me from when you were talking is because we have to watch what we say to our kids. We have to be very mindful of the words that we share and we have to speak life into them. So you had teachers and your mom who spoke life into your own natural gifts. You didn't know um necessarily that you were going to be a lawyer but they said that was what you were good at so those positive messages went into the back of your mind and became a part of your subconscious and they became they went into your long-term memory so even when you weren't thinking about it you were like well i'm i'm smart you were telling yourself positive affirmations without even knowing it because people were breathing life into you and i think for any parent who's listening, that's a lesson that we can take with us. When we are interacting with our children, identify things that they're good at. Because sometimes when you're in a classroom and you're talkative, your your name is written on the board <laughs> when you're small. And we can take that as kind of a negative attribute, but no, it's actually a positive attribute. And we need people who are great at verbally communicating and communicating in general. So if you see those characteristics in your child, speak life into them. Say you're great at communicating. Yes, they're talkative, but that is a positive, that is a positive attribute that they can own and take ownership of and start building leaderships, leadership skills around those specific skills. Now, when you when we when I heard you talk about them planting seeds in your life, you had an interaction at 11th grade. And although 11th grade is almost out of high school, it still had a big impression on you. So I want to just kind of back up to that particular moment and kind of tell us who you like, you know, what was it about that person? How did they look? How did they speak? Because those are some of the things that obviously stayed with you and made you feel like, wow, I one day want to do what they're doing or I want to be like them in some respect. So can you kind of talk about that specific interaction? I definitely will. 
the caveat is because you were talking about parents speaking life. I have this little, um, for people who can't see, I have this little statue. It's probably about five inches tall and it's a black woman sitting at a desk and the desk is the U.S. attorney's office and it says law and justice and she has a law book with me. So my mom bought me this statue when I was really, really young. I don't know if it was elementary or middle school, but she bought this. I'm not a U.S. district attorney, but I take this everywhere I go. Like when I went to college, I took it. When I went to law school, I took it. When I had my first job, I took it. And I have it on all my desks. Now I work from home. So now it's on my work desk sitting right next to me within arm's reach. And um, that was, I mean, though, again, I did not become a U.S. attorney. I don't want to become that. But she had, uh, you know, nurtured that idea in me. And it has been inspirational, even if it's just that little token. But going to your question. Um, no, so the, the the first lawyer I saw, he was a, um, it was a male and he was black. And um, I think because I had already expressed that I was going to be a lawyer, like once I said I was going to be a lawyer, that one shot up to the top of the list because, you know, the family's like, yeah, we're going to have our first lawyer. So it's like, okay, this is what we're doing. So um, I already knew I was going to be a lawyer. He was a lawyer. So he kind of just took me under his wing, but taking me on under his wing looked like preparing me for the LSAT. This is what you're going to need. Um, the LSAT is the exam that you have to take to get into law school. So tell me a little bit about the LSAT, what I need to do, uh, uh, camps or training places to go to take tests. So in our community, I don't know if we don't have the resources or the knowledge or both, but there's test prepping courses and camps and things that you go to that teaches you how to take tests. And I feel like that's a big piece that's missing. Like we don't know that it's there or can't afford it. It's one or the other. And so I think I went to one of those and I did okay on my LSAT. Probably could have done better if I had the resources or the knowledge to do it, but I did okay. And I went to law school, so it must've been good enough. Um, but I say that because juxtapose that to after I graduated and I got to take the bar exam, but that's the exam that you take so you can begin practicing as a lawyer. <laughs> and so, I, again, they told us of the, the test prepping course, which was like almost a month and a half, if you will. The test prepping course that you take for a month and a half, it was expensive. But the people who took that course, 99%, maybe 96, had a better chance of passing that bar exam, which is two and a half days, at least at the time, than those who did not take it. And so when you compare the stats of law students who pass the bar exam versus those, or law schools who have a high passage rate versus those who do not, you will see the discrepancy on, uh, is this school, because I went to a private institution, I went to Southern Methodist University, very expensive, I'm still paying all the loans, <laughs> I got like a Lamborghini loan, but I went there, and so going to take this test prep, having the access, the knowledge to do it, was something that was really high on their list because they, they're going to keep their numbers up versus if you went to another school where um, the, the resources are not as available, do you have more people not able to pass the exam on their first try? So, um, so yeah, so he was just uh, there to kind of mentor me about the LSAT process. It was like a crash course though, because it was so close the LSAT process well it wasn't that close but the LSAT process and then just telling me like uh, when you get to law school this is what issue spotting is and kind of explaining to me what issue spotting was a little bit so of course I still had college to go through before I went there but I did like you said always remember him and just some of the things he tried to instill in me and educate me about becoming a lawyer 
Oh, that was powerful because I loved everything that you said when it came to mentorship. We cannot stress in our community enough the power of mentorship. Not only did he show you his profession, but he said, hey, to give you a leg up, these are some concrete, tangible things that you actually need to be introduced to. And I think that goes beyond just showing because he took a special interest to say, these are the steps. And I think sometimes in um, mentorship, when we're looking for mentorship, we're just looking for somebody to give us positive words of affirmation and reinforcement and push us and kind of tell us what to do in some way. But what he did, he not only told you what to do, he gave you resources that were strong enough to actually help you get a leg up. And when it comes to black um, youth testing, often we do test at the lower end and it's mm -hmm. not because we're not intelligent it's really because we're not taking these academic classes that give you that test prep so there are actual test prep when they um had a scandal with the the testing centers not too long ago with college testing and that revealed that scandal revealed that some of these celebrities are paying for their kids to do well on these tests so even those numbers aren't as accurate as we thought so we just thought oh you know because of the demographics our kids are doing poor no some people are lying some people hiring other people to take the test for their uh, for their children it's just a messed up system and so i hope that as we move into the future we will do a better job of preparing our youth and we'll also um, make sure that if those tests are no longer applicable to what we're going to do in the future, then we need to make sure that the system changes. And so out of everything that you said, I want us parents to remember to get our children mentors and mentors that won't just talk to them, but will actually give them concrete information on how to do well, because the LSAT is very important. The higher your score, the more opportunities you have in law school. And so um, I just I appreciate what you shared about that that experience. I know we do, we want to get into your books because I think I think that's also, you know, just very important about, you know, you had these goals, you were able to accomplish them. But when you were younger, you had a goal to become an author. Yeah. And so you've been able to also accomplish that. And so I want to kind of move over into that direction and um I want to start by you reading if you have a favorite page in your book, just one page that really is probably like your favorite page where it stands out if you can read that because I know as an author every page is your favorite. Oh my God. <laughs> let's see, let's see. I'm gonna probably pull. Cool. Oh no, oh my gosh, I feel like I need to go like each one. Uh, okay, I'm gonna go to teaching. Okay, let's see. I'm gonna have to ask for two pages. Okay, but I'm gonna go to teachers, and one of my favorite pages in teachers, and I think it's like in all of them because I have this one page specifically that always like do the inspiration inspirational tone so it's like the story goes along and then it has the, the climax if you will the inspirational tone and then it like goes back on into the story so for me for example for me it would be um Andrew learns about teachers so he's learning about teachers obviously but <laughs> the one part is 
We learn everything from teachers. They teach us everything we know. Teachers encourage us to succeed so much to them we owe. And then it goes on to talk about all the things they do for teachers. I mean, all the things teachers do for our students. Um, and then similarly, I know Elle told me one, but I'm gonna do two. It's okay. <laughs> In the lawyer's book, we have this one page where it says, Andrew learns about lawyers. And it says, lawyers listen to people's problems and they come up with a plan. Lawyers help people protect their rights. Lawyers help people take a stand. And I love the illustration. I don't know if you can see the little cake on the back. Yes, yes. The whole, um, I just, I don't know. I just like that one little, and as y'all could probably hear, the books rhyme. They have a rhyming uh, format. Um, so yeah, I just like those pages if I had to pick one because I feel like it kind of wraps up like what's so important and cool about a teacher, what's so important and cool about a lawyer. Yeah, that's powerful. And for those of you, I'm going to describe that page. So the second page for the lawyer, it really stood out to me because it was a young lawyer who the image looks like a child, but he's standing there very confidently with his hands on his hips and he's standing in like the power stance. So if you're <laughs> familiar with the power stance, that's the stance. And so our kids see that. They see those images and it goes into their memory. And even though they may not um, realize that they're taking that positive image into their mind, they are. And so I love that you share both of those pages because they both have powerful messages that we can take with us. So when you were preparing your thoughts, did you write your book first or did you find an illustrator first? What was your process? So writing my book first. And so um, actors, Andrew learns about actors was the first one I wrote. And so that just came to me one day, just chilling. And I was, like I said, they're inspired by my son. So me and my son love TV, me and my son love books, me and my son love reading. Um, and one of the things me and my son also likes to do, like to do is pretend like, I don't know, like we're really engaged with our <laughs> TV watching. So we'll, I'll talk to the screen. Like I, I'm like there with them, right? Um, I'll do it to my books too. That's why I like books that have like uh, written in first person because I feel like we're like having this conversation. But anyway, um, so he would run around the house reenacting or acting with the characters on TV as if they're both having like this playtime or whatever's happening. And so I thought to myself, does he realize that these people on TV are not real? Like, I know they're not real, even though I still actively participate in my TV watching, but I'm like, I know they're not real. Does he know that these people are not real? And so the idea came to mind to have a book that explains the career of acting, but also explains to children that characters, the actors and the TV characters are two different people. Um, and so uh, I wrote it or I got a manuscript done, a draft manuscript. And then I went looking for a publisher and that was not successful as you would imagine. <laughs> you can't just go and be like, hey. Um, so I knew I have a good friend who had published a book. Her book is about um, breast cancer. It's how to like talk to your kids about a breast cancer diagnosis. She's a, a breast cancer advocate. So that was her line of books or her line of book, uh, her type of book. And so anywho, she had published with um, a small publishing company. And so I had tried to like, okay, well, let me check on with them. But for some reason, I think for higher reasons, it was not like, it didn't have like open submissions or anything. So I couldn't like go that path. 
So I was like, okay, whatever. And so just let that sit for probably about a year. And then the pandemic hit and it got really slow, like work-wise, because, you know, we're trying to figure out like what to do at work. Do we come back in the office? How do we do this? So I kind of had like a little more time where you don't have to commute, you know, to work. Um, and I would go on my walks and I'm like, I'm supposed to be writing a book. <laughs> like I wrote it, but what do I do with this, you know? And my husband and my mom, again, with affirmations, my mom's still in my ear. When you gonna publish your book? When you gonna publish your book? Uh, my husband, you need to publish a book. You need to publish a book. They didn't know that I had written a manuscript, but they just always been in my ear. Like since me and my husband got together, he's like, when you gonna publish a book? And I asked him recently, like, how did you know that I was supposed to be publishing? Like you weren't with me when I was four. Like we didn't, well, in fourth grade, like we didn't know each other. So how did you have this belief in me that I would become a published author? And he gave me his answer. But my mom, she always knew this and just always hounded me or whatever. So um, I'm like, but how do I go about doing this? And that's when research came into play and I learned about independent publishing. So I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, that's what my that's how my journey into publishing came to be. But yeah, so I wrote the manuscript. Then I learned more about how do you write a manuscript? Like you can't just put words on a paper and be like, that's great. So I do like a storyboard and everything. Then I learned that I didn't have enough pages for a book, like a standard children's book. So I had to go back and add some more things. Then I had to make sure it made sense. So I had to read it to my son, see if he was getting the point I was trying to get across. Um, and then I found an illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> and because this is my first time, I'm thinking that an illustrator just takes the words from your page and just create things. And, and that's not how it goes, at least not with the first <laughs> interaction with your illustrator. Um, so she's like, okay, well, what do you want your illustrations to look like? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> the, the words on the page don't say it. But anyway, so that's when I started like um, having an imagery of what I wanted the, the, the illustrations to reflect, like, what did I want them to look like? What did I, not like now, because I use the same illustrator for all of the Andrew books, she can pretty much go with it. Like, if I say, I don't know what this page should look like, like, just be inspired by my words, she'll come up with something. I'm like, okay, that's perfect or whatever. Um, but yeah, so no, it was first, it was the words, then it was the illustrations. And that's how I do for all my books. <laughs> Wow, I think that journey of having your manuscript and then seeing it on paper, I think it kind of changes you as an author. So I know that I have authored, um, man, it's like five books now. <laughs> and what I've realized is when I saw that first book, when I saw my illustrations on paper, that was all the motivation I needed to make more. So when, what, when did you kind of have that switch in your mind that said, wow, I did this and I can continue doing this? Yep. 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 Good question. Uh, so, um, I put out Andrew Learns About Actors. And I was like, see, see mom, see, see husband, I did it. You have to leave me alone about it. Like I've accomplished the goal of becoming a published author. Now all my friends and family go buy it and let's see what happens. So there was no marketing plan. There was nothing behind it. It was just like crossing it off my list, seeing where it goes. So anyway, after you publish your first book, you're like, where do I go with this? Like, was that all I was trying to accomplish? But it's like, no, that's not all you were trying to accomplish because you've even told yourself while you were, you know, getting actors underway that you were going to at least do four books in this series, at least four books in this series. And the four books that I had already said while I was like working to publish actors was I was going to do Andrew Learns About Teachers, Andrew Learns About Lawyers, and Andrew Learns About Engineers. That's why I told myself. So it's like, 
what are you going to do now? Um, you've already tapped out all your friends and family. <laughs> You're going to have to start figuring out how to reach more people. You have a product that you put out for a reason, for a purpose. Um, and you said what that reason and purpose was when you came on with actors. So you cannot stop now. So that's when the switch occurred or it was kind of brewing there. Like, okay, well, let me go ahead and start working on Andrew Learns About Teachers. That was during COVID. I thought that would be perfect because it honors teachers and all their hard work they had to go through. Um, it's just, I don't know, it just has, it's a multi-purpose in my opinion. And then um, that kind of had a little bit of leeway. But then when lawyers came around, I'm like, Tiffany, if you are going to do this, like you really have to put together a marketing plan. And that's when I finally put together like marketing and I started seeing things like actually work out for me after that. Um, so I knew I was going to, I guess I always knew that I was going to write at least four books. Um, I have 10 books <laughs> currently. <laughs> I knew I was going to at least write four books. Um, but after the first one, then the second one. And then when I wrote my third book, it wasn't lawyers. It's a lying book. It's a book about lying for kids. And that one was like doing, it is doing really well. Like it's on recommended lists for parents to, um, if you need a book about teaching your kids about honesty, it's one of the recommended books. I didn't even ask to be on that list. They just found my books. So I was like, thank you. That's so kind. Um, so when I saw that one take, I'm like, really? Okay. So, you know, I do know what I'm doing. <laughs> that was like the, the affirmation I needed. Um, and then I continued with lawyers. And then I was like, okay, well, um, I put out like a season book and a season book has such an impact. It's called Winnie Loves Winter. And, you know, I kind of framed it as, you know, um, Snowy Day, Ezra, the person who wrote Snowy Day had paved the way for Winnie um, because there's not many seasonal books featuring black main characters. And that one became such a household love. And I'm, I'm not saying like I'm a random house or something like selling millions or anything, but it was beyond my family and friends, but that's what I call success as far as like um, monetary or whatever. Um, so like people that I did not know was buying these things. And I'm like, what? Okay. So I started kind of getting that momentum and I was like, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and put out engineers and it will be complete, at least that set. But I do have a goal to become like the Britannica of career books. So I'm like, it's going to be at least probably 26 of them at some point, <laughs> at least. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love the ambition, the drive, the dedication, all of that. And I think that what you just shared, you had a husband who was a big supporter. And I know for those of you who are listening, who are, you know, maybe you're not in a relationship or maybe, you know, you're thinking about what type of partner you want someday. I've always told people, find a partner and friends and people in your circle who believe in you. That is worth its weight in gold. You need to have people who are supporters and believers because in a world where we carry so much weight on our shoulders that are things that are outside of our control, we need that positive reinforcement and we need validation. It may not be something we wanna say we need, but it is inherently a human need. And so mm -hmm. it's okay. And so to me, that really stood out because, you know, when people are talking about marriage and relationships, they talk about 
finances and communication, but you rarely hear people say support. And I and I will go as far as saying, not only do you need that support and the person who believes in you, but you also need to have somebody who's also ambitious. If you're an ambitious person, you know, and you you have all these ideas. Yes, you need um, somebody who's realistic and you know helps ground you, but you also need somebody who's also doing things because you don't want to feel like you're just pushing that person out of the way. That can cause some rifts in relationships. So you need to both be ambitious when you're thinking about relationships. So I know this is not a relationship podcast, but I thought I'd just you know say my little piece <laughs> on that because it's something that I feel really strongly about because I could relate to what you were saying as a mom and in what I do I was kind of forced into entrepreneurship but I think I've been able to navigate it much easier because mm -hmm. I met my husband in college as well but he was ambitious we have different um, ambitions but we believe in each other and we support each other in our goals. And I think I've been married now for um, 16 years. <laughs> and I think that it's because of that sort of support, love and um, dedication to one another and to our dreams that we reinforce it in one another. And I think that's what keeps a relationship strong. And it's something that we don't necessarily talk about as a community. So I'm glad that you shared that. Um, as we kind of wrap up, I would love for you to um, give our audience some words of encouragement about um, just whatever that you feel in your life has really encouraged you. Can you share a few words to encourage someone else? So, um, uh, I just, I don't want to, you know, isolate anyone, but um, I have a belief in a higher power. And so for me, embarking on this journey of entrepreneurship because I am very risk risk averse like I don't like to lose my money so even when it comes to marketing I'm very budget like if my husband like just go for it I'm like mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. I gotta see how now I, got, I gotta know the ROI like <laughs> I don't play it so anywho um when I started embarking on this road of entrepreneurship and kind of thinking about taking it like really seriously like this can actually be um something that can be passive income like this is awesome. Um, and I can fulfill a lifelong goal and I can make a difference in people's lives, children's lives, really. Um, one thing that I did, and I have a journal about it, is uh, But God Says. So what I do is have a conversation. So if you remember, I was kind of saying, I was just like, how am I going to do this? That was my conversation with God. Like, how am I going to do this? And I'll put down what I want. So at that time, I wanted to be able to pub publish a book. And I'll put down what is stopping me. And at the time, what was stopping me was one, not knowing how to go without a traditional publisher. So lack of knowledge. Two, fear. Fear that I'll be judged, not only by my family outside of my mom and my husband, but like friends might be like, girl, what you think you're doing? And then people outside who don't have to be nice to you <laughs> would be like, what is this trash? So fear of, I guess, public criticism, um, fear that it will not be well received. So a lot of fear and just doubt in my abilities. I've never done this. I've never been an author before. I only know how to be a lawyer. I know I have the talents and innate skills, but I don't know how this is going to go. Then after doing that, uh, what's stopping me situation, I'll sit with it, maybe meditate, maybe read. 
And then, but God says, so what is God saying to me? God is saying, one, the lack of knowledge, you can fix that. Like, just go study. <laughs> like, go study, take classes, whatever you need. And the fear of public criticism or whatever, like, if you put out a product that you can stand behind, you put out a product that you, um, that you can stand behind, like, put out a good product. You know that your product is good. Like, you wrote it well. You um, have good illustrations. You invested in your illustrations. And you have a bigger goal here. So if your purpose is to educate kids about careers, then there's no reason for you to be like, well, public criticism. And I don't know if you're aware, Elle, because we're both in this, one of the same groups, but I've had a hard public criticism on lawyers, but it wasn't about my writing <laughs> at all. It wasn't even about the contents of the book. The criticism was race, race based And it was that, I'm gonna sum it up, <laughs> and how I received it. It was that I had the mitigated gall to feature a black boy, because it's Andrew, so Andrew is the featured character, uh, with talking to his black mom. His black mom is, is the lawyer in that story. She's telling him about her day or what she does as a lawyer, because it's take your kid to work day. And Andrew's like, but what do you do for work? So she's telling him what lawyers do. So I had a mitigated gall to have a black female lawyer talking to her black son about him being anything he wanted to be, including a lawyer, and then to go so far as featuring diverse images of lawyers in the book, <laughs> and then going so far as to have any type of honorable mention of any uh, um, historical figures who helped pave the way. It was he was so livid about it. I don't know this guy from Adam, but he let me know that I was wrong for doing that, which let me know I should go for it. If that had been my first book and I had received that first criticism, I probably would have stopped. But because I had already kind of made my way to like the fifth book at this point, <laughs> I was able to, one, I got support from the group. The group was like, uh-uh, we, uh-uh, girl, we gonna get behind you and rally behind. And then I realized that his comment, his lawyer in me, his comment had violated the Amazon policy. So I was like, look, Amazon, these are all the violations that his uh, review had. And he's a troll, which he was because I researched him. And so they took it down. And so I don't have to worry about that anymore. And that's just a lesson for my son. I'm like, hey, son, you know, I'm doing things and people are being really mean or people, a person was really mean to mommy. But this is how mommy handled it. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anywho, um, so just having that conversation with God to get that affirmation, that validation that, you know, your fears are never greater than your purpose. Um, so that's probably what I'll take away. My fears are never greater than my purpose is what I've learned. And Marianne Will Williamson has a really good quote that everybody knows, which is, uh, uh, what is it? Oh gosh, it's slipping my brain. You know what it is? There's no greater fear than, fe no, 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 that's not it. Our fear is not that we are inadequate. Our fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. So that sticks with me because it's like, what is your fear really based on? that you can really accept, that I can really, really accomplish my mission and purpose of educating kids about different careers, that I could really possibly have a hand in diversifying the legal profession, the engineering profession, whatever other profession I choose to, you know, talk about. Like that, that to me, that's powerful. That's powerful that I can have a hand. That someone could say, oh, because my kid picked up your book or because I read this book to your kid, now my kid wants to be a lawyer. You know how I many, I mean, they're becoming more diverse, but how much more diverse would the legal profession be if more kids just knew <laughs> what it was? Like, what is this? I don't know what a lawyer is. I don't even know if I can do it. 
but now you can. Um, so anyway, those are the pieces of advice or encouragement <laughs> that I have for anyone listening. That's very, very touching because that's how you know you're doing something right. Everything that we do, even when we're fulfilling our purpose, is not going to be received well by everybody. And I think as a person of faith, we know that you're going to face some storms, you're going to face some trials. That's a given. And so um, that comment was meant to throw you off of your focus, to move you off the path of continuing on. But your faith was stronger than that. And I think it's very important for us to tell other young people about the adversity that we'll face is everything's not going to be smooth sailing just because you get your education you're gonna have some bumps in the road you're gonna have some naysayers you're gonna face some opposition but it's what you do after you hear those words is what you do after somebody tries to throw you off your game that matters. And so I am so grateful that you shared that honest story with us because it's something that we will all face <laughs> at some point. And to keep going is really what matters. So thank you so much for being honest, for being transparent, and for continuing because it definitely makes a difference. So I want everybody to know how they can connect with you because I've just enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you. So please share your pages so that and your website so that people can know how to connect and get your books <laughs> yeah yeah connect with me so i'm on instagram and uh facebook and now pinterest <laughs> and the um, handle is at sugar cookie books books with a s um sugar cookie like the sugar cookie literally then um my website is the same www.sugarcookiebooks.com and you can see my whole catalog of books and you can see my uh why well, i named it sugar cookie books some people are like why did you name it that so i also have a blog on there too that just kind of talks about the journey and some of the things i talked about today like starting out especially or the mission behind all the books but particularly the law book and how, like I told y'all, I didn't meet my first lawyer, so I was in 11th grade. So, and I think that's just way too late for any child to, to you know, if I hadn't already had my mind set up, like that probably wouldn't even happen. Made up, that probably wouldn't even happen. So, anywho, that's where you can reach me, Sugar Cookie Books. <laughs> so everybody, you heard it here. Definitely visit the show notes page at cleverlychanging.com to see what those links are so that you can just click through and also so that you can see the pages that she shared two pages with us and i know that uh, we tried to describe them but we'll definitely try to share a picture of those pages but get the books you heard how pivotal and how life-changing they are for little kids so these are the books we need to be getting for our friends who are having babies who have baby showers these are the type of books so Plant those seeds early and thank you so much for listening and tuning in to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. Have a wonderful day. Did you know that we sell merchandise to keep our podcast going? order a hoodie, t-shirt, mugs, and more today. Visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.